Um, the our second shear on Masachet Kiddushin is going to continue with analyzing uh, skills, uh, methodological skills, and as I, as is always the case, we can't do anything unless we have the proper uh, textual and conceptual background to address the sugya. So this is a sugya that we uh, that we studied actually uh, yesterday in the daf. Um, and it's at the very end of the first of the first section of the first parak, meaning the Mishnah about Kiddushin. Uh, so we're going to preface it with this parasha, which is the beginning of parasha Tazria. Um, by the way, uh, just an interesting thing about Tazria. Uh, not everybody calls it parasha Tazria. There are some Sephardi communities that refer to it either as Parshat Isha or Parshat Tahara. Interesting. Uh, just because they want to have the name be a little more reflective of something positive going on. In any case, by the Barad Lamo Shalimor, and y'all know this, the Barad Lamo Shalimor, so if a woman um, is fertile, and or however you translate Tazria, and gives birth to a boy, she has a seven day Tumah just like Nida. And by the way, that's the one source in all of post Abrahamic. Torah that Brit Milah has mentioned, except of course for the prohibition of an Arel eating, uh, eating, I think called Chorm Pesach. For 33 days, she has Demetahara, but she's still removed from the Mikdash for that entire period. If she has a girl, then it's double. It's 14 days, Shuaim. Very interesting discussion in the Midrash Halacha about Shuaim or Shivim, Nishim, the Masoret, but we're not going there today. So it's a double, 14 days of Tum'ah and 66 days of Demei Tahara, which means any Damim she sees don't impact on her Tahara. But either for 40 days or for 80 days, she's removed from the Mikdash. Now, removed, meaning removed from the life of the Mikdash. So when that period is over, either the 40 days or 80 days, here we go, this is the part we need for our sugiyah. She should bring a lamb as an olah and a bird as a chatat. She has to bring an olah, she has to bring a chatat. So the kohen then offers it up. That's a little bit difficult, the it should be them, uh, and is and achieves atonement for her, and she has tahara. That's the rule <laughs> of the oledet, whether it's a male baby or a female baby. Let's say she doesn't have enough money to buy the lamb. She buys two birds. One bird is an ola, one bird is a chatat. Now, all of Masachet Kinim is driven by this pasuk. Because Masachet Kinim, if you recall, is about a cane. A cane is a nest. And a cane halachically means two birds that are brought. One's the le'ola, one's the chatat. And what happens if she designates this bird as an ola, this bird's a chatat, and then one of the birds flies away, and they're similar. And dealing with all of those fekot. Um, a lot of fun stuff. In any case, not our particular problem. What our particular problem is the following. It's a Mishnah in Masechet Kinim. Ha'isha shivya chatata umeta. So let's say this 
post-parturient woman, so she's on day 41 or day 81 or later than that, brings her chatat, whether the chatat, the chatat is a burden in any case, and then she dies. Yaviu hayoshin olata. Her kids then have to bring the ola. Olata umeita, but if on the other hand she only brought her ola, lo yoshin chatata. The Orshin do not bring her chatat. And why is that? Because the very famous Mishnah in Masachet Mi'ilah, which is Vlad chatat, utmurat chatat, v'chatat shemeitu ba'aleha yamutu. Remember, we have Shivan's famous chamesh chataot meitot. There are five chataot that are killed, meaning they're not brought as offerings, but they're killed. The machloket, about two of them, but three of them are agreed upon, which is, a chatat, of course, is a female. So for chatat, was designated and then gave birth. The Vlad Chatat can't be brought, has to be killed. Tmurat Chatat. Somebody has the Korban that they have as a Chatat and they say they switch it for another one, the Tmurat. And our thing that's critical is Chatat Shemetu Ba'aleha Yamutu, which means that if somebody sets aside a Chatat, they were Machalal Shabbat, they did Abu by mistake, or Rayot by mistake, they set aside a Chatat. And they die before it's brought, it cannot be brought, has to be killed. So therefore, if a woman gives birth and then she sets aside her chatat and her ola, right now I'm going to play it safe, she sets them aside, and uh, and she brings the ola, but did not yet bring the chatat, that chatat has to die, but cannot be brought. But the part that interests us is the flip. What happens if she brought the chatat, what's the status of the ola? The ola is brought by the heirs. Okay, now, that opens the door for our sugiah. Okay, now, c- background. Rav Asi, who was a very close student of Rav, not Rav Asi, the student of Rabbi Yochanan in Tveria, Rav Asi, the student of Rav in Sura, in Bavel, when he died, his students gathered to share things that he had said and to discuss them and debate them, etc., Remember the one famous thing, the, the famous thing that he said that sparked a lot of discussion was that people who don't know what they're doing when it comes to Gitan Mikidushin shouldn't be involved. And if they do, their actions are worse, worse than Dorham Abul and that whole long passage from Moshea. And then Hadur Yatvi Vikamri. Now, again, I'm going to ask you, and by now you should be used to this, what's the difference between the right side and the left side? The left side, as you can see, is the printed text from the Vilna Shas. And the right side is all this other fancy layout. Okay, besides the fact that the right side takes up the whole page and the left side doesn't, what other differences do you see? Broken out sentences, you've paused it. Uh, right. structure. Good. What else besides the breaking up sentences? All right. What? Yeah. What? The same thing we had last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get you guys used to it. Different quotes from different <laughs> Rebbe and uh, different pieces of the argument. Right. So Plus first of all, Tanaitic literature is blue. Um, Memrot and Shmatot are in, in red. Uh, critical phrases are highlighted. And technical terms as part of the Shaklavataria are in orange. Again, nothing holy about that, but uh, but it just makes it a lot easier to to person. What? What else? What else? Sorry, what? Okay. 
Hadu yatvu v'ka'amri. Yatvu v'ka'amri. So we're going to do a little bit of grammar also. Okay, hadur means then they returned, which means the next thing they did. Yatve. Okay, please tell me what the word yatve means. What? They teach. They teach. No. Okay, yatve. So I'm going to teach you a trick. All right. One of the tricks of the trade is whenever you see a word with a tav in Aramaic, oh, you don't know the word, immediately think shin in Hebrew. They sat. They sat. All right. Which is why a yeshiva is a metivta or masivta. All right. And a hashava, a response, is a tiuvta. All right. So often that'll be just your quick clue. Hadur yatvi. Now look at that suffix. Yatve. That suffix in Aramaic. What does it mean? So I'm going to help you out. Um, Kadish Rabbanan. We said it on Shabbat at Bill's house. Kadish Rabbanan. All right. Al Yisrael Rabbanan. Ve'al Tamidayon. Ve'al Tamiday Tamidayon. Ve'al Komand Askin Ve'al Right. All right. What is it? Plural. Plural. Mizone Raviche. Okay. So Yatve they sat the Kaamre and they discussed and they said. Right, they sat and they said the following. Okay, next topic. Hadit none. Now, we're going to spend a little time on this one. The word tnan means what? They learned. Well, close, close, <laughs> but I want to, I want to, I'm going to be very tight on it. They learned from a brighter? Well, tnan actually, okay, so tnan is a Q word. That was stated in a mission. It was stated mission. in a mission. No, but the way you really want to translate it is that which was taught. And the reason I'm saying it that way is because tnan is a verb that refers to oral re repetition. So again, go back to Hebrew. What is the word tnan? Take the tav and turn it into a shin. What do you got? None. Shin. Right. Like Which means what? Teach. 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 Over, over, over and over. Continuity. Continuity. Repeat. No, not repeat. Vishinanta yeah. means do it twice. Over and over. Repeat it. Etana is somebody who repeats the teaching. And Tanan, that which was taught in that form. Now, they worked out, I don't know in what generation, they worked out a particular uh, code system. So the word Tanan is used to refer to that which was taught in a Mishnah. And Tanya refers to a Brita. Tanu Rabbanan refers to a Brita, but usually in the Tosefta. Tanina is usually a Brita. So... You know, more or less, you you can you can get the geography from that. So hadit none. All right. So how would you translate that phrase hadit none? Because it's the beginning of something. We have learned this before. Okay, hadit none. I'm I'm going to be really really tight on this because if you start with the proper translation, then the rest is easy. If you start a little, even a little bit off, the rest gets much more clouded. It was taught to us. Okay, that which was taught. 
that which was taught. That which was taught because it's a clause that we're going to investigate. That which was taught, da 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 da, da here's a comment about it. Okay, so had it none, that which was taught, the Mishnah we saw from Kinim, a woman brings her chatat and dies, her heirs bring the olah. Meaning, they said about this, Shmuel said about this, now, what does the word vehu mean? Remember, there's only a woman here, so what's vehu? She. Hmm? She and she. Vehu doesn't mean she. Who is he? Uh, the local director of the intensive care unit. So what's vehu mean? <laughs> what's vehu? Vehu is and now... It occurred. It no, is sim what? Naftali, what? It happened. That something happened. Okay, so Vahu, the proper translation is that is only if. Oh. Meaning the Mishnah says oh. that if she brought her chatat, then the Yorshim bring her olah. Vahu, meaning as long as, only if she free shatami chayim. Okay, now let's get these words down. What is lehafrish? So we're going to play a little bit with grammar here. What does what when you look at the word hifrishata? There's a lot of letters there. What three letters are the root? Perush means separate. Separate. What does what does perush mean? Separate. It means to separate. I mean, like for instance, perush is dung because it's separated out from the body. Right, and it has a lot of different applications. Now, <coughs> lifrosh is to separate. Lifrosh means hatzibor to separate yourself from the community. What is lehafrish? So now we're going to go a little further into Hebrew grammar. In Hebrew grammar, and it works in Arabic grammar also. In Hebrew grammar, we start with the trilateral roots right three letters and then we can do all sorts of fun things with them that give them nuanced meanings so we can have the simple form and then we can have an intensive form and then we can have a causative form and then we can have a reflexive form a simple form is you did it an intensive form is you really did it and a, and a causative form is you did it you 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 acted that someone else should do it and a reflexive form is you did it upon yourself I'll give you an example right now. Lil Bosch. Lil Bosch is to don, to put on clothes. Lehalbish, I'm skipping to the causative, is to put clothes on somebody else. And lehit labesh is to dress yourself. Lirchotz is to wash. Leharchitz is to cause someone else to wash. Lehitrachitz is to take a shower. Wash yourself. All right? So now, lifrosh is to separate. What's lehafrish? Separate. What? To separate other things. Right. To cause something else to be separated. Exactly. Right. So lehafrish, we that that she separated it out. Mechayim. What does that mean, mechayim? 
While she was still alive. While she was still alive, she separated out, which means before she died, she'd already had an animal that she had said, that's going to be my Ola, but before she brought it, she died. Okay? Now, um, that's what Shmuel said. Now, notice that the next line is not in red. Now, this is something that people will disagree with from now until the Tomashiach comes. But there's reason to think that Shmuel said three words. And the Gemara then comments, which is the obvious conclusion. There's no reason for Shmuel to have said it, but the conclusion is, meaning if she didn't, what? If she didn't? Separate. Separate. Put aside while she was alive, meaning she died and there was a whole flock of animals in her in her possession, but she had not yet designated an Ola, lo, then they don't bring it. Oh. Right? So in other words, according to Shmuel, when do the heirs have to bring the Ola for their mom who died? The sister who died? After she separated Only if she separated it, it's sitting there marked as an Ola for Susie. Susie died, now they're bringing the Ola for Susie. But if she didn't have a chance to designate it, what do they not need to do? Bring it. Bring it. Which means what else do they not need to do? If, take one out of the flock and do it. They don't have to designate anything. There's no obligation. Okay? So what drives the obligation? Now let's move away from grammar and the, and the nuts and bolts. Let's move to the conceptual. According to Shmuel, what drives the obligation for the heirs to bring the animal? Did, did she separate it before she died? Right. There's an Ola sitting there that can't do anything else. It has to come to the Beit HaMikdash. And an Ola can be brought on behalf of a dead person. It's not like a Chatat. So they bring the Ola. This animal's an Ola. So we brought it to the Beit HaMikdash. But if she didn't designate it, there's no reason for us to pick one up and bring it to the Beit HaMikdash. There's no Ola here. Right? That's Shmuel. Now, parenthetically, before we go further, Lehafrish is a word that we actually use in our own practice. We don't bring korbanot much lately, but it's one that we use in our own practice in another context. When else are we mafrish? Chala. What? So chala and... The wife or the, or the husband if they make chala. Chala and what else? Shumot and masrot, right? You're in Israel. And you buy produce, and the place you bought produce from was directly from, uh, let's say, a non-religious kibbutz or something. What do you have to do? You have to separate trumot masrot, and you make a bracha, and the bracha is al hafrashat trumot masrot. Same word, lahafrish. Okay, good. Just a little side thing. Now, <clears throat> notice that the next line, alma kasavar. No, okay. Now. Before getting to what it means, can you tell me who's saying these words? Here's the problem. Amar of Yudamar Shmuel, and I have four, three lines. Which of those lines did Shmuel say? Which of those lines did Rabbi Yehuda say? Which of those lines did somebody else say? What do you think? We have the red line, we have the black line, and we have the black line with the partially highlighted text. Well, you told us... Uh... Rabbi Huda said the red line, and then someone else said the partially highlighted. Right. So in other words, what we're watching is Shmuel said one thing. 
Right, three words. Then the Gemara, generations later in discussing it, says, okay, and the implication is that if she did not designate it, you don't have to bring it. And then either that generation or a later generation then came to a conclusion. Alma, which means we see, behold, Hasavar. Now, two things to talk about here. A kuf in front of a verb in Aramaic means nothing. <laughs> Meaning you can almost ignore the kuf, right? And it seems to be a filler, almost like the word et in Hebrew with the accusative. Doesn't really accomplish anything. So alma kasavar, which means we see that he what? What's savar? What's that verb mean? Understood. Holds. He holds something. He holds. He holds. Right. Savar. Even though the verb you're right, Naftali means to 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 reason out and understand as a position. It means he holds. Kasavar. He holds. Shibuda lavda oraita. Okay. Good. So now. Let's play with the Aleph. I hope you guys don't mind, but I'm getting very lexicographical today. All right, lexical today. Um, look at the first of the highlighted words, Shibuda. Now, what is that word? What the heck is that word, Shibuda? Sounds like a Japanese dish. Right? I'd like some fried Shibuda. Bill probably knows how to make it very well. Right? What is Shibuda? So let's being, go. Let's go back a, to basics. What's what's the root? I and bet dalit. Good. I and bet dalit is the essential root, and this is what, according to many linguists, is one of those few examples of a quadrilateral root where you have four <laughs> letters. But this is a special kind of quadrilateral root where the first letter is a shin, and it's used to strengthen the three. It's a strong form of the three. So what is the three? Eved. What's Eved mean? Servant. A servant or a slave. Shinabud is a stronger form of slavery. We refer to our existence in Egypt as Shibud Mitzrayim. Not just the slavery of Egypt, the servitude, the oppression of Egypt, whatever. We want to make us stronger. So Shibud. Now Shibud becomes a legal term which refers not to slavery, but it refers to property being automatically on lien. So when I borrow $100,000 from Kurt, what happens to my house automatically? Subject to a lien. What? Be subject to a lien. A lien. $100,000 worth of my property is under lien to Kurt. So much so that if that star is a star, if that loan was done with a star and I sell the house to Alan and then Kurt comes to me for collection and I don't have the money, Kurt can go and seize the house from Alan. Okay. Yeah, that's that's Shibud. Now, Shibud, therefore, is a strong lien. Now, what's the word Shibuda? What's an olive doing at the end? So I'll just ask you in general, what's an Aleph doing at the end of Aramaic nouns? Like Oraita. What's that Aleph doing there? Have you seen an Aleph at the end of an Aramaic noun lately? How about 
How many announcers have you seen without one? <laughs> Pretty frequent. So what's it doing there? So an aleph at the end of an Aramaic noun is like a hey before a Hebrew noun. Very simply. It is the direct... A hey before? It's the definite article. What? A hey before. An aleph at the end of an Aramaic noun is like a hey before a Hebrew noun. The definite article. So... Oraita is the Torah. Shibuda is the Shibud. Okay? So Shibuda loved the Oraita. Okay, now that we got the words, what's the concept? Shibuda loved the Oraita. What does that mean? The servant. Uh, well, it's not a servant. Uh, Shibuda yeah. now is the lean. The automatic okay, the lean. All right, okay. So now, Shibuda Lav Doraita, what they are concluding is that according to Shmuel, Shibuda Lav Doraita, which means that if I have a debt, my property is not automatically subsumed for that debt. What's the word? Not subsumed. That's not the word I want. The word you guys know that I forgot. You remember it, you'll tell me. My property is not is not automatically taken for that debt. And therefore, when this woman gave birth and the Torah says she owes an olah, her property did not become under lien for that olah. And therefore, when she died, that's it. She's dead. There's no obligation. Dead men aren't chayim in anything. Are you, are you, th are you thinking of the word collateralized? No, but that's good enough. There's another word you guys have taught me before that I forgot that's better than that. But collateralized will be good. So in other words, Shibuda Lavda Oraita would mean that the principle of Shibud is not the Oraita, which in this case means it doesn't exist. And therefore, when the woman gave birth after day 40 or day 80, she owed a Chatat and an Olah. If she brought her chatat and then she died and she hadn't designated anything, there's no lien on her property for it. And therefore the heirs don't bring it. Right? That's Shmuel. Okay? Now, remember this whole thing is taking place as a festive gathering of the students of Rav Asi who are going to compare his different statements and discuss them. Am Rav Asi, Am Rabbi Yochanan. So what did Rabbi Yochanan say? What's the rule? No, you tell me. What? That if she owed money, if she had a lien on something and she died, it's no more, it's no good. Any, you, know, you don't you don't have to pay it. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Afalgav means what? Even though. Even though. Shalohi frisha michayim. She didn't do what? Remember what's Slaha Frish? Yeah, she didn't separate the animal she was alive. while she was alive. In other words, according to Shmuel, they, the heirs only have to bring the Ola if she designated it, but it doesn't automatically devolve upon her property. Rabbi Yochanan said, even if she didn't designate it, they still have to bring it. Now, what can you infer from that? Alma Kasavar, Shibuda Havei Doraita. 
which means what, okay. what, what must Rabbi Yochanan hold as a position? It is Doraita. It is Doraita. And therefore, the minute that she get, hit day 40 or day 80, there was a debt on her that then hit her property and transferred to her property, which is a chatat and an olah. Chatat, she died, can't bring it. But an olah, right now, her property owes an olah. So the Yorshim have to designate an animal and bring it. And that's the difference between them. So now, remember, we're having a discussion about Ravasi. We're seeing that one of Ravasi's positions, really quoting his Rebbe, is at odds with Shmuel. That's not so unusual. Okay, Bavel versus Eretz Yisrael. And now, at this gathering, what did they say? And so now you see the orange, because the orange is the language of Shaklavataria. Right? So now. <clears throat> what? I don't know. I can't hear. Okay. Now, Vahapligi Bacharazimna. Everybody see the words? I don't know if they're clearing up. Vahapligi Bacharazimna. Now, what does the word Vaha mean? So Vaha is one of those words that really contextual context changes its meaning. In this context, it means, but wait a second. It's a challenge. Pligi Bacharazimna. Okay, let's go back to it. What's the root? Pay Lamed Gimel. What does that mean? It's a word that we encounter all the time. To split. To split. Good. What else? Arguing over something. What? Arguing. Arguing, Arguing over something. Disagree, right. To disagree about something. To deed to dissent. A miflaga is a political party because they have positions that the other miflaga doesn't have. So pligiba. Now what's the Pligiba, look at the suffix. Palig would mean he disagrees. What's pligi? I disagree. What? Plural. They disagree. They disagree. Pligiba, chadazimna. What's chadazimna mean? What's one time? One time. Some other they already had this disagreement one time. And why rehash it? In other words, what we're going to do is identify that Shmuel has already stated his position that Shibuda loved the Oraita, and Rav Yochanan has already stated his position that Shibuda is the Oraita in another context. Why rehash it? Now, we have to step back and ask the question, why are we so bothered by that? After all, people have disagreements on principle, and those disagreements keep coming up in all sorts of ways. Government overreach, as an example. States' rights, as an example. There's two sides of the same coin, right? Are things that people of goodwill disagree about, and those disagreements come out in issues like taxation and abortion bans and the National Guard and borders and you name it. And the same disagreement keeps coming out. That's fine. Our issue is, why would Shmuel go on record and, and restate a position he's already stated? That's the problem. The problem isn't Shmuel continuing a disagreement. The question is, why would he go on record with it? Meaning, why would he add to the database 
Well, we already had, know the, his position. We already know Yochanan's position. That's the challenge. And that's going to take us to the big uh, pot of gold at the end of this rainbow today, which is the big, uh, big uh, methodology skill that we're going to gain. Okay? Now, we're making a claim that, Ra, that Shmuel and Rabbi Yochanan already had this disagreement. <clears throat> I remember for many years there was somebody I disagreed with about, about uh, reincarnation. And uh, so a wife, a friend of mine. And every time I was at the house, she would say, come on, don't you believe in reincarnation? I said, no, I know, I don't, I don't. And she said, uh, come on, come on, everybody, right? I said, look, we had this disagreement 500 years ago in Rome. We had it 300 years ago. <laughs> well, I have to do it again, right? And that was cute. But here we go. Now you got to prove that. Now what does it mean? Rav and Shmuel, Amri Tarvaihu. They both said, which is somewhat unusual. They both said. No, we we actually have them on record quite often together. But that means Shmuel's part of this. And what did he say? What did they say? And then now, again, the Memra is in red. Right? And this is what they said. And by the way, remember, Memrot are in Hebrew. It doesn't matter that Rob spoke Aramaic at home. And so did Shmuel. Memrot are in Hebrew. Milve al peh. Now, by the way, one of the most confusing words for young men in Gemara is this word milve. You see it? The first word in red, milve. Because it's spelled exactly the same word as the way as the word malve. Now, what's a malve and what's a milve? A malve is someone who loans. Right. A milve is, is I, I think it's the other fellow, the someone who that's called the lova. You have the malve and the lova, the lender and the borrower. What's a milve? It's a loan. It's a loan. People often get it confused. So milve al peh. What's a milve al peh? Alone without a star. Beautiful. Alone done. Baalpeh. Two people trust each other. They bring Adim there. They lend the money. They don't have a star. Okay? Now, what constitutes the Shibud? What constitutes my responsibility to pay back that debt? I borrowed $100,000 from Sherwin. What, and no star, what generates my obligation to pay him back? Uh, the hitman, I will order if you don't pay it back. Oh, no. What generates the obligation? My word. Uh, right. I, I Kavod. Money Kavod. out of the money. Kavod. If I have a star, the star generates the obligation. The question is, a star we know generates a shibut also. What if there's no star? So Rabbi Shmuel Damri Tavayu said, Milve alpeh, eina gova min hayoshin velo min halakuchot. Meaning what? Okay, so now let's take a look at it. Gove is to collect. What's the guy who goes around and gets stuck up from you called? He's called a gabai. He's the collector. In the old days, when we used to have such things as collect call, collect call was called guvaina in Hebrew. When I have such things in the world. Right, milvalpe eno gove min hayorshin. What does that mean? A milvalpe, a nagovamina yoshin. 
doesn't collect from the heirs. Right. So I borrowed money from Bill, no star, and I dropped dead. Bill can't collect it from my kids. Oh. Okay. You sound disappointed. Right? Let's <laughs> start. Velomin halakochot. Halakochot. Let's let's look at that. What is the what is the root? Lakochot. Isn't that a customer in general? Um, not in this case. Right in modern Hebrew, it is. What's the root? Right, which is to take or to acquire. Lakochot is a technical word that we use for people who have brought bought your property. All right, so. Bill, I lent me $100,000, no star. I subsequently sold my house to Alan. And now I have no cash. Alan, Bill comes up to me and I say, I can't pay you back. Bill goes after my house. According to Shmuel, can he seize my house? No. No. Nope. 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 In other words, a mil seems to not have a shibud. It doesn't devolve on the property. It doesn't devolve on my heirs. It doesn't devolve on my property and follow it to a new owner. It's an obligation on me. It can come after me, personally. What does Rabbi Yochanan say about a milval peh? Just the opposite. Which means you can collect... From the Yorshim, from the, the Kuchot, which means we think it means that Rabbi Yochanan holds Shibuda Daraita. And the minute I borrowed money, all my property became encumbered to that debt. And Shmuel says she would allow Daraita. And unless there's a star, there's only an obligation on me to pay, but not on my property. Sounds like the same deal with the Korban, right? So now the question is why did Shmuel have to state his position twice? Why did Rabbi Yochanan state his position twice? Okay, you ever to see where the problem is? Okay. Mm -hmm. Are we all clear? What do you mean twice? Why did he say it twice? What did he say twice? Where is it twice? Because first Shmuel and Rabbi Yochanan had the machloket about the korban ola. Right? Mm -hmm. A woman dies after bringing her chatat, but didn't bring the ola. The uh, the heirs have no obligation for Shmuel to bring the Ola, unless she already designated, in which case it's already on the way. Rabbi Yochanan says, even if they didn't she didn't designate it, they have to designate one and bring it. And our, our understanding is that Shmuel says, she Buddha loved the Oraita, and therefore when she died, there was no obligation on the property to bring an Ola. And Rabbi Yochanan says, she Buddha the Oraita, the minute that she hit day 40, her property is now encumbered for an Ola. And if she died, the, the Orsham have to bring it. Then they seem to have the same machloket about a milval peh, right? So here's what I wanted to get to today. And that is, we've seen it already, a tzrichuta argument. Now, tzrichuta argument, this whole thing is called a tzrichuta. A tzrichuta argument is really a justification. And it's a justification, sometimes it'll be with psukim, sometimes it'll be with mishnayot, sometimes it'll be with memrot, it's a justification for having what seems to be the same idea expressed twice. 
How do you justify that? Within the canon of Torah Shaval Peh, how do you justify that the same idea was taught twice? What do you have to do? Different circumstances. Uh, you need more than that. You part way there, you need more than that. How do you justify what's the heart and soul of a trikuta? We did it a few weeks ago. What's the heart and soul of a trikuta? Well, there's something new oh, yeah. to be there's something new to be learned. You need both. Oh, you further. need one and the other. Well, keep going. Why? Well, because one without the other, you can't deduce one from the other or vice that's versa. That's it. That's it. Stay right there. If I only had one, I couldn't get to the other one. And by the way, I have, that has to go in both directions. That's be bilateral. If you only tell me A, I don't know B. And if I don't tell me B, I won't know A, because otherwise, tell me the less obvious one. I'll know the more obvious one in Shalom Yisrael. There's another way of saying that, is that each is necessary, but each is not sufficient. Um, yes, but we're dealing more with extrapolation than inherent necessity. Okay. Right? And you'll see it in the in the argument, okay? Um, let me do it as follows, okay? Uh, let's say that in Arminian, uh, that there was a rule that said, um, 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 priority for leading davening goes to... Um, goes to members of the shoal and um, another statement that would be that uh, priority for Aliot goes to members of the shoal. Now one can argue that that's basically the same thing, which is to say what? People who are paid members of the shoal have preferential treatment in Davini. However, I can make the argument that neither statement, I'm doing this on the fly, but that neither statement would lead us to the other statement. And if I want to teach both, I have to say both. Because if all I said was that only, that members have preferential treatment for leading davening, I would say, sure, because they have a yort site and they have a chiyuv. And perhaps their entire reason for joining the shul is so that on those auspicious days, they can find a place where they can lead davening. But aliot can be about a whole different consideration, such as, like happens in our Ashkel minion, we want to give aliot to guests to make them feel welcome, right? Flip it. Now flip it. You could say that priority is given to members when it comes to aliot, because we want to make sure that every one of our members has an aliyah and that they remember the Hebrew name and whatever other reasons we have. But leading davening, as long as somebody's willing to lead davening, they know what they're doing. What do we care if it's a member or not? Now, what I'm doing is a pedestrian example. I'm just showing you how that's how Tzrichuta works. In other words, the heart and soul of Tzrichuta is if you only tell me A, I won't know B. If you only tell me B, I won't know A. Therefore, both A and B have to be taught. Here we go. Tzricha. Now notice the orange words. Sricha, and how does the whole argument end? Sricha. Sricha. It's a Sricha sandwich. We've seen that with other things like Shmamina sandwich and Tiyufta sandwich, but Sricha sandwich is much bigger. It's a lot more, a lot more to bite. 
because you have to develop the whole the whole tzrichuta argument. Here we go. Now a tzrichuta will always start with this: the e itmar, the itnan, the iktiv, whatever kind of text it is. We'll look at the word itmar in a minute. The itmar beha. All right. Now let's look at the word itmar. Itmar is tricky because it's an Aramaic word. So you're going to look at it and say the root seems to be tamar, and that's a date. Doesn't seem to make sense. The tav is actually not part of the root. It's it's an Aramaic grammatic adding. Not going to worry about what that what that's doing. Itmar means was said. Was said. And itmar is a word that the Gemara only uses when quoting Amoraim. It'll quote Shmuel and Rav and Rabbi Levi and Rabbi Yochanan. It'll never quote Rabbi Kiva and say itmar. So in the minute you say itmar, you know you're talking about Amoraim. And we're talking about Shmuel and Rabbi Yochanan. That's fine. The e itmar beha, right? If Shmuel had only said it about this case, meaning the oral debt, then I would have thought. Now you have to fill that in. That's not in the text. In that case, Shmuel said it. Now, here's the reasoning that we use. Now, one of the nice things about this kind of trikuta, which I call a flipped trikuta, is you only really have to prove one side. Now, that sounds bizarre. Because a tzichutah should need to prove both sides, right? But I'll show you why you only need to prove one side. The itmar beha behach kamar Shmuel mishum lo milvak tuvavatorahi. If Shmuel only said about the about the debt that it can't be collected from heirs because there's no shibud, that's because that debt is not written in the Torah. The Torah doesn't say at shalom owes as Ezrad a thousand dollars, right? Aval. Now, aval is always the second half of this. What does aval mean? But, but meaning, this is what I would have reasoned. I would say, I would say, I would say that Shmuel might agree with Rabbi Yochanan Shlakish about the bird. You know why? Because the bird, the I mean, the korban is written in the Torah. The Torah says you have to bring a korban. And so maybe it being written in the Torah is kind of like a star. You understand the difference between me borrowing $100,000 from Alan and me having an obligation to bring a korban when I do something? The $100,000 is something the Torah never told me to do. It told me if I make, if I incur a debt, I have to pay it. But it didn't tell me I have to pay $100,000 to Alan. But it did say that I have to bring a korban to Hashem. It's kind of like written in a star. So now, if we only had the machloket about the loan, we would say, sure, that's where Shmuel says the loan doesn't devolve on the property, because that loan wasn't ever written in the Torah. But if a woman gives birth, that korban's in the Torah, and that debt is stronger, and it does seize on the property, right? And therefore, I would think Shmuel would agree that the heirs have to bring it. But remember, a tzrichuta's got to go both ways. Because if you can only prove that A is more obvious than B, then teach B. you got to prove that A can't be inferred from B, and B can't be inferred from A, and that's why they have to say both. So let's flip it. 
If we only taught the case of the bur of the korban, then I would say Meaning, if I only had the first case with the korban, and Rabbi Yochanan said even if she didn't designate it while she was alive, she, the oyers have to bring the korban. I'd say sure, because the Torah says you have to bring a korban. It's like a star. But I would think Rabbi Yochanan Shlokish might agree with Shmuel about the oral debt. Now, the reason I call this a flip tzichuta is it only used one channel of reasoning, not two. And that'll work when you're talking about a disagreement. Why do I have to disagree with Sherwin about um, uh, parking spots at Shul? whether or not we have the right to park behind Shanghai, let's say. And also have a disagreement with, with Sherwin about parking in the alley next to Beth Jacob. The answer is, we might think that, you know, if I said you're allowed to park in both, and Sherwin said you're not allowed to park in both, right? So we could say, all right, at, if I only had the first case, I'd say, at Shalom says that you can park behind Shanghai because Shanghai has a relationship with the shul. And, but when it comes to the alley and back and back of the Jacob, I would probably agree with Sherwin. And if we only had the Beth Jacob thing, watch it, Sherwin say, well, the alley has nothing to do with Beth Jacobs. So that's why he can't park there. But I would assume he'd agree with that shalom when it comes to Shanghai Gardens. Therefore, I need to state both. But you understand you only, how you only need one channel of reasoning to get both? Because what is it you're trying to justify? We're not trying to justify why somebody made two statements. We're trying to justify why Chachamim had the same disagreement in two areas. So one channel of reasoning will serve both. Okay? Good. All right. Let's get to the end of this particular piece. Amar of Papa. And I told you guys in Shia, this is unusual on two levels. First of all, one of the difficulties in the Muragmara, and this I'll hand over to Bill because he just made his beautiful Siyum Hashas. One of the difficulties in studying Gemara is that rarely does the Gemara come to a conclusion when there's a dispute. Often there's not a dispute. When there is a dispute, often the Gemara will not come to a conclusion and tell you what the Halakha is. Now there's interesting reasons for that. But was, what is more interesting is those few occasions where in the Gemara itself, you will find a statement that says, here's what the final halacha is. That's not too common. Now, just like sort of the, the inverse of Teku, where Teku shows up in lots of theoretical discussions like Korbanot, Hilchata will almost always show up in things that are practical and frequent. For obvious reasons. That's what we do. But what's really strange about this one is part two. The word Hilchata shows up in the Gemara however many times at the end of a sugi to tell you what we actually do. As a very late addition, it is anonymous. And it is part of the Stama'i layer of the Gemara after the year 500. Maybe sometimes much later than the year 500. It might be from the period of the Gaonian that it comes in. Remember, the Gemara is edited and added, and there are comments in the Gemara that go to the period of the Gonim, in the Beit Nidrash of the Gonim. Here we have Hilchata, 
with a named Chacham, and you all know him. It's Rav Papa. Rav Papa was a student of Rava. That's relatively early. That's middle middle to late 4th century. So Rav Papa turns around and says, Hilchata, meaning this is what the practice is. Ha-halacha, Hilchata. Milva al-peg govem min ha-yoshin ve'ino govem min well, so what was Rapapa's memra? What do you do with an oral debt? What does it say? What do you do with an oral debt? You can collect only from the uh, the heirs. Right, but not from the purchaser of the property. Right? Now, that's Rapapa's statement. What happens next at the end of our Gemara? What are the last two lines? Someone explaining why. Exactly. And the way they, the Gemara does it is by repeating each halacha atomistically and giving a brief explanation. It's not Rapapa. Govemina Yoshin, why? Shibuda da'araita. Now, by the way, how do I know it's not, not Rapapa? You said it's not Rapapa? Yeah, the last two lines. What did Rav Papa say? What do we know he said? Hilchata. What words did he say? Hilchata. Milva alpeh. You can read with me. Govem min hayoshin veinau govem min alukuchot. Right? What language is that? What language? Hebrew. Because that's halacha. Hilchata is what happens in the next two lines? Aramaic. They quote they his quote Brooklyn, the and, and then they get an explanation in Aramaic. Aramaic. Right. That's later. Right? And by the way, why would it only show up later? I'm going to give you two very different reasons, but we don't know which one it is. Reason number one might be that everybody in Rapapa circles understood what he meant. And only later, they wanted to clarify it so you'd understand. Possibility two is that it just wasn't important. Right? Meaning, this is the halakha. And then a later generation says, well, let's clarify the reason for it. Either way, that's what we got. Govemina yoshin. Why is govemina yoshin? What it says. Why is govemina yoshin? Why is the rule that you can collect from the heirs from the oral debt? Because they're quoting it to work. Because what? It appears that they're in the Torah, therefore. It doesn't appear in the Torah. What's yes, Shibuda Shibuda is Doraita. Meaning, the concept of Shibud is Doraita. Which would mean then that the heirs really should bring the Korban also if the woman died. Shibuda Doraita. Which means, of course, what's the odd man out here? If Shibura Doraita, then how come you don't collect from the Lukuchot? Right? So, what's the Gemara's explanation? The late lay Kala. Okay, now let's just do it again. Look at the word Kala. Right? Get rid of the Aleph. What do you see? Oh. oh. Or Kol, right? A voice. Ha Kol. I mean, the voice now, late 
is a conjunction of low eat. So let's try that. What does the word eat mean in Aramaic? Aleph Yud Tav. Remember what I told you about a Tav? Ish, man. Right. So it, it actually means yesh. <laughs> right? So eat means yesh. Lo eat means lo yesh. Or how would you say it in Hebrew? Ain. Ain. Right? Late lay kala. Meaning this debt that was done orally and there's no star. Late lay kala. What does that mean? And this is, by the way, an important Allah principle. There's no voice. There's no, there's no voice. There's no record of it. And people don't know about it. It was, it's done very quietly. Two people watched him give the loan. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a baiting. It wasn't a sofer, right? And therefore, the word didn't spread. And therefore, like you said, there's no record. And therefore, when I buy the house from Naftali, I have no way of knowing that the house is an encumbrance on it. And therefore, it's unfair for Kurt to come seize the house because uh, Naftali didn't pay uh, the loan. Right? right so it's a protection for the purchaser then. What? Like a protection for the pur purchaser of the property. Right. Right. You got to watch out from these guys on the East Coast. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Alan's there. He can keep an eye on you guys. So what we've seen over the course of the last uh, 57 minutes is we went, I'm going to show you one more thing in a second is we looked at, we started with the general obligation of the Corban Yoletet, of the post-Parturian woman, and then we dug into, I mean, Sugya was this discussion of Rav Asi's Torah among his students. They quoted the Mishnah about the Chatat and the Ola, and they quoted Shmuel's opinion, which is that she the heirs only have to bring it if she designated it, and then they came to the conclusion that Shmuel holds, she was not the right, and that's why. We then noted Ravasi's opinion, which is, according to Rabbi Yochanan, that even if she um, if she uh, died, and by the way, then, right, then even if she um, did not set it aside, still they have to set it, they have to bring it because Shibuda is the Oraita. And our challenge to that is, but wait a second, Shmuel and Rabbi Yochanan already had this disagreement about Nilval Pet. And so we built a Tzvichuta argument and we said that if you only knew about the machloket, about the milval peh, you would say, yeah, but Shmuel would agree about the korban because that's in the Torah. Flip it. If we only had the machloket about the korban, we'd say, Rabbi Yochan would agree with Shmuel when it comes to the debt because that's not in the Torah. And if we need both. And our papa came along and said, the halacha is we actually split the difference. We do collect from the heirs, but not from the likuchot. And he gives... Uh, and, and the Gemara then gives a reason for each thing. Now, something interesting end note here. Uh, the Yerushalmi in Masachat Chagiga at the beginning has the following statement. Hifrish Chagigato Vamet. Let's say it's Arab Pace, Arab Sukkot. And the guy sets aside a Korban Chagiga and dies before Yantif comes. Hayoshim Mahushia should his heirs bring that korban? Right? Rabbi Ilamar, Yir'eh and Yira'eh. There's a famous play on the word, Shalosh Pamim HaShanah, Yir'eh or Yira'eh. You see or you come to be seen by God. And he says, Since this guy can't come, he can't bring the korban, he's dead. 
So he quotes Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yonatan, who's not in our sugya, saying, Right? And now, all of that interest comes to this. Look at that in the Rishalmi here in Chagiga. Rabbi Yochanan and Shmuel have this machloket. And look, they quote our Mishnah. And Shmuel said, it's only if the woman set aside the Korban before she died. And Rabbi Yochanan said, The Shalom then goes on to its own spin. So the interesting thing is that this tradition of Shmuel and Rabbi Yochanan's disagreement was studied in parallel and discussed in parallel in Bavel and Meretz Yisrael. And here you see it in the Rishalmi. We'd go further, but we're already over time. So Meretz Hashem next week, we're going to see um, a, uh, a very cool piece about uh, the Kohanim. I think we're going to talk about Kohanim, and that particular sugya, if not perhaps another sugya, uh, maybe the sugya of Tafastim Ruba. But um, in any case, we'll continue with our study of, uh, of